It is uh, great to be together worshiping God. And uh, I just want to say thank you as I do many weeks because I'm so moved every week as our worship ministry and the team up here leads us in song. Thank you guys so much for moving our hearts so powerfully. As we get into the uh, second to last of our uh, series in Alive, I do want to give a little shout out to the Edge Ministry because last night they let me go bowling with them. <clears throat> And I learned a lot about our EDGE ministry. I learned that they are competitive, but I learned that they don't let that get the better of them. I learned that there is a sister among us that showed up. She had not paid to go bowling, but she came ready to bowl. She got herself in by faith and then decided to go ahead and unleash the fury. She bowled a 177, destroyed everybody. She will re remain nameless. She's anonymously glorified. She has an extra bowling lane in heaven waiting for her. No, Bree did awesome. She was amazing. She did great. But it was uh, wonderful to be together. It was a sold-out event. We took over Frames Bowling Alley in Midtown and had uh, such a great time. And uh, I know that we'll continue to have a great time in the Edge Ministry as we do events uh, going forward. Uh, today in uh, the Alive series, and as Al mentioned earlier, we've been talking about uh, the things that make us feel alive, and we've been following Jesus' footsteps uh, in the last few chapters of Mark, just seeing all that he went through because he was a man, flesh and blood, and was alive himself. And so we're learning through him some of the lessons uh, that make us feel alive today. We talked about food. Uh, we've been talking about different things that make us feel alive today. We've got a tough one. We're talking about pain. 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 Pain has a weird way of making you feel alive. Arlene was talking earlier about our, our family having fever uh, over the last uh, few days. And uh, it was seven days ago on this very stage that I told you that uh, half of our family wasn't even here because of fever and uh, <clears throat> that, you know, we were pushing forward. It had been a hard few days and we were all trying to help each other. But I was feeling pretty good at that point. <laughs> and, you know, a few people had asked me before they hugged me, so are you contagious? You know, did you? And that's a good question to ask, you know. If I'm going to shake your hand, you've been talking about fever, are you okay? And I love how most of us are like self-prescribed, not contagious. I like that, right? Oh, no, I'm not going to. How do you know? Oh, I just know. We're past that stage in the fever process. Anyway, um, I don't know what I was. If I hugged you and you're sick, I apologize, but I think I was okay as of Sunday afternoon. I felt pretty good about my immune system. I felt like, you know, oh, my family's going through it. I'll be strong for them. God has granted me with a strong body to go through hard times and serve his family when they are sick. Around 6 p.m. that night, I felt like someone shot a laser through my belly button. You ever get that sick feeling where it just... It's like a laser. It's pointed acute pain right in the middle, and there is nothing you can do about it. Things come out, nothing you can do about it. It's still there. And it lasted for many, many hours. Around 4 a.m. that night, I wasn't able to sleep. I literally started singing in the bathroom. My God is awesome. 
deliverer, protect, heal. I almost called Quentin to come over and help me through it. That's more information than you wanted to know. One of the things that happens is, you know, you go through the sick process and you don't eat. And uh, you hate food, actually, which is really an odd feeling. Oh, wow. And a few days go by. And for me, you know, I, I went through the, the whole process. And a few days went by. And later in the week, I remember eating a cracker. And that cracker tasted so good. It's the best cracker I've ever had in my life. And you start to remember that feeling, that delicious, yummy, awesome feeling, the feeling, the thing that makes you feel alive, you know, eating food. But it's the pain, as Nick talked about earlier, that helps you to appreciate later on the things that God allows us to have. Pain is actually an amazing uh, warning system that our bodies have that trigger there's something wrong with this situation, so it helps to protect our bodies. You know, there's an old African proverb, do not teach a child not to touch the fire, let the fire teach him. It's an African proverb, it's not in the Bible. But some of us have maybe gone that direction, perhaps not with fire, but with other things, because there's a, le a lesson that is learned through pain. It's a warning. You know, a burn now might save a life later. And pain is the body's way of telling the brain, stay alive. We like this thing, we want to keep it going. And we're going to look at actually a painful passage uh, in the Bible. It's on the board, and you guys can turn there in your Bibles, open your phones. Uh, let's get the scriptures out to Mark chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse 15 in a minute and uh, read about some pain that Jesus went through. And as we're turning over there, reading about pain and thinking about pain and reading some medical journals online about pain, uh, I remember that I used to do this thing when I was a kid. I I wanted a bike so bad, and I was always borrowing the neighborhood kids' bikes, and finally I got a bike of my own. And the first thing I wanted to do was ride around this little uh, circle area that we had near our apartment building, and I wanted to come flying into the little cement courtyard area in front of my building and kind of have a glorious moment of look at me on my bike. And what I did the very first time is I took the turn too fast, and I went down on the cement really hard, and I, I skinned up. I remember going down on the left side, the outside of my left knee, and just skinning it. You know what I mean? You're a kid, and just, you're bleeding, and you're like, ah, and mom. And you know, Saturday morning, I'm screaming, mama. And uh, mama would come running down, you know, and, and everyone would be like, he's dying. What's going on? You know, and she'd always come down running with a washcloth that had been damp from water. I don't know how that worked out because it seemed like she was there in 10 seconds but had enough time. Maybe it was a dish rag. I don't know, but she was, always had this washcloth uh, to pat me down. I did this six times, actually, before I stopped taking the turn too fast. And I kept skinning the same knee, wanting glory but not learning my lesson. Finally, I stopped taking the turn so fast, and that was the first lesson I learned. The second lesson I learned is that mama really loves me. And that was a good lesson to learn too. There was purpose in my pain. It was a lesson that I needed to learn. Slow down. Taking the turn too fast. 
You know, I believe God, our amazing Father, our awesome provider and protector, is not a wasteful God. He doesn't waste our moments. I think every moment he either authors or allows. It's on purpose. It's deliberate. There's a reason. He doesn't waste even our pain. He wants to use whatever bad happens in our lives for some good. And that's why we're calling today pain with purpose. Do you guys like that saying, no pain, no gain, or you hate that? Yes. All right, mixed feelings. That's okay. I have mixed feelings. <clears throat> Maybe today we can think of rather than no pain, no gain, spiritual gain through our pain. Okay. Maybe that's a way we can see through this because something beautiful can come through something broken. Now let's read and, and look at a picture of pain that rivals really any other. It's our Savior Jesus being led to an excruciating death. Mark 15, verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. We're going to stop there. To give some context, and uh, some of us know the story leading up to this point, uh, we see starting in on the physical pain of Jesus, but he had gone through quite a lot of emotional pain up to this point as well. He had been with his small band of followers for about three years. They were connected at the hip. They went everywhere together. They ate together. They traveled together. They shared the gospel as they went together. They saw miracles happen together. But in the moment of challenge, when he's arrested, uh, when the troops come and the soldiers start to get busy and do their jobs, one by one, he starts to lose his followers. And it says in the text that they abandoned him. Even his best friends, even people that had swore, I will never leave you. They're gone. And they're out of view when he starts to go through this next and excruciating phase of pain. Even earlier, as he's praying in the garden, he asked them a simple favor. Can you please stay awake with me? That's all I'm asking. I just, I just need you to stay awake because I'm going to pray. And I'm, I'm going to go to my father and ask that he take away this cup, meaning I don't want to have to go through this. Is there any way in your plan that you can stop me from feeling this pain? So I need you to stay awake. I need your help, your camaraderie to be close to me at this time. And what do they do? They were tired. They were tired. Oh, Jesus will be fine. 
And they fell asleep on him. So he's already feeling abandoned, already feeling alone. And then in this section of, of Scripture that we just read, it starts to get physical. In verse 15, we see that Jesus is flogged. We have a, an artist's rendering of what one of these whips might look like. You know, when a prisoner of Rome gets punished with flogging or whipping, this is intensely serious. There are sometimes bits of metal, bone, or glass embedded into the leather thongs that are coming off uh, the whip, one that you might see like this one behind me. The flesh of the victim would be shredded. In a Jewish law, and some of us are aware of this, uh, you could only receive as a punishment of, flo of, 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 uh, of flogging 40 lashes. It was a law. You couldn't receive more than that. So just to make sure that they never went over that law or near it, they would go 39, 40 minus 1. But see, the Romans, they didn't follow Jewish law. In fact, there's evidence to prove the opposite, that they hated Jewish law. And we don't know this for a fact, but it's possible that they went way over 40 lashes when it came to Jesus. Oftentimes, people would die just from the whipping itself. And there wasn't a need for the death penalty after this. Of course, we know that Jesus survives the flogging and continues on. There was something that I noticed that I hadn't really noticed before about five chapters earlier in the book of Mark. And I'll show you on the board uh, what it is that caught me. See, Jesus predicts his own death. But I didn't realize some of the wording that he used just five chapters earlier when he's talking to his guys. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, it reads, We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You know, I would imagine that it's one thing to be mocked, to be spit on, and even to get the ultimate death penalty. But the flogging was something that was to be feared. And if you knew, even days before, that it was going to happen, can you imagine how intense and afraid you would be feeling? Sometimes we don't totally understand Jesus' pain before the cross. What kind of psychological battle is Jesus going through? It helps inform us a little bit more on why he's praying on the Mount of Olives, God, take this away from me. He knew that those bits of metal were going to dig into his flesh. In the verses we read in verse 16 through 20, I hadn't noticed this before either. I always thought there was sort of a handful of soldiers. It says a whole company of soldiers was there. A whole company of soldiers mocking him, beating him, taking the staff that they use as a scepter to mock him, to bow down, oh, great king, what are you going to do now? And hitting him and spitting on him making fun of him. The whole company of soldiers were there to take part in this joke. And then, if that's not enough, they put on this purple robe to mock him. Purple was a sign of royalty. And then, after the flogging, you know, this robe had probably adhered to the wounds on his back from the flogging, and they rip it off. They knew what they were doing. They knew the pain they were inflicting on our Lord. In verse 20 through 22, we read that he walked, couldn't bear the weight of the cross. They forced Simon to take it, to help him. 
Some call this the Via Dolorosa, later translated the way of pain. There are uh, some people and historians that say that this is the road, the actual road that's there. There are many roads that lead this pathway. It's about six football fields in length to get from point A to point B. You're whipped, you're beaten, you're made fun of, you're lacerated, you're dying, and you're carrying this 100-pound piece of wood on your back, and you're walking six football field lengths towards your death. This is the pain that Jesus went through for us. In verse 23, they say that they offer wine mixed with myrrh. Of course, both of these, wine and myrrh, are, are kind of like uh, pain deadeners, painkillers. Get a little aspirin in you to be able to bear the pain or take the edge off. He doesn't take it. He's completely present, sober-minded, in the moment, taking all of the pain. And I think it's ironic that both at birth and death, he receives the gift of myrrh. In verse 24, it says they crucified him, and there's no explanation in Scripture about what crucifixion is. Because everyone at the time that the Gospels was written knew exactly what crucifixion was. In fact, the, the roads leading into certain parts of Rome were lined with people that were hanging on crosses, still dying or dead, to remind everyone that you don't mess with the empire. This is the pain of Jesus. It's important that we remember this pain. The Bible tells us to remember this pain. It's an interesting image. You know, they take him up to the place Golgotha, the place of the skull. And some historians say uh, this is that exact place. This is a more recent image. You can see why some people might call this the place of the skull. These are real places. This is a real story. We must remember that the cross was an instrument of torture. This is the truth that we advertise when we wear crosses on our necks. There's nothing wrong with it. Just remember what you're saying. You're saying that five-inch nails were driven through the wrists and arches of the feet of our Jesus into the rough timber, raised up on the weight of the cross, on the weight of your whole body, bearing down because you slump down because you're so weak and you're dying of the pain, but you have to crouch up on the cross in order to breathe. This is an expert and concise way to kill someone as painfully as possible. My question always has been, anytime looking at this text, is this. Did it have to be this way? Because it's even uncomfortable for me to have to say it. I can imagine it's uncomfortable for you to hear it again. Did it have to be this way? What do you think? Yes, no, could it have been a different way? Could we have the whole picture except no flogging or maybe not a cross, maybe something quicker? And as I've searched the answer to this question on my own, I can only look to scriptures like these in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. In Hebrews chapter 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. See, I don't think Jesus would be able to help us if he didn't understand us. You know, nobody relates to Superman until we see him deal with Krypton, right? Yeah. 
We don't, we don't really relate. He's Superman. He's got laser eyes. He's indestructible. He's super handsome. <laughs> Looks good in tights. Mr. Spock is just a robot until he bleeds. Now he bleeds green, but he still bleeds. And we say, okay, I can relate to the character. See, it's kind of like nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's this weird thing that Jesus had to suffer because that's what we do. We suffer. So he had to be able to relate to us if he's gonna be able to save us. This is his purpose in life, to save us from our suffering. But he, yes, had to go through the suffering. I hate that he did. But I'm glad he did. Because that's how we're rescued. You know, I think it's the same for us when we go through pain. Uh, marathon runners have a special bond because they put themselves through torture. It's because of the pain that binds them together. That's why they talk to each other in a weird way. Remember mile 23 when I was dying? Yes, I was dying too. They relate to each other. See, who better to help somebody going through a hard time than someone who's been through that hard time? Who better to help someone who's going through a divorce than someone who's gone through it? Who can better understand addiction than someone who's been there? How about raising kids? Us parents, we want to reinvent the wheel. I got a new thing. I got a new way of raising kids. My four-year-old, just come over and look at her. But we know better, right? We ask other parents who have gone through it. My kid is doing this. My kid is saying this. I need help. I don't know where that came from. I think they're demon possessed. <laughs> Definitely couldn't come from me. Some of us are married. Paul calls that a concession, by the way. He says, I really hope that everyone could be like me and remain single like me and Jesus, by the way. But... But if you have to, if you have to, get married. But be careful. He's got a whole chapter on it. You don't just wake up knowing how to be a good husband or a wife. You have to be trained by God, by the church. So it helps when you go through a really hard time to talk to someone who's gone through it. Perhaps you've been a victim of racism. Perhaps you have been the victim of senseless, racist discrimination. Doesn't it help to be able to talk to someone who's gone through it? To be able to relate to your story. Now, everyone's got a different story. But it helps when someone can connect to your pain. How about if you've been abused? You've been hurt. You've been a victim. It helps to talk to people who have been down that road, to relate, to connect, to empathize. And the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ. You know, we saw 175,000 people marching in the city yesterday. There were folks out there who survived school shootings. These were kids that were at the schools where shootings happened, and they marched yesterday, and they were relating to one another. They were connecting in their pain. You know, sometimes the thing that you hate the most in your life could be the very thing God wants to use for good. I'm going to put this up. 
the thing that you maybe hate the most in your life, the trauma that's happened to you, the abuse that's happened to you, the senseless discrimination, the violence that you have endured. Perhaps that is the very thing that God wants to use for good because someone else has gone through it and they need you right now. Chances are there's someone even here in this room who needs to hear your pain because you survived, you anchored down spiritually, you persevered through it, you lived to tell about it. And they're suffering right now and they need your pain. I think it's our challenge. I think if it's Jesus's purpose, it's ours too. To be a part of our ultimate purpose today, every day to share our pain with others. To empathize, to understand, to listen, to hear, to pray with, to sit in the pain and then move through it with one another. Amen. This is Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, a couple of different places in verse 4 and 6, I'm reading out of the New Living. God comforts us all in our troubles so that what? We can comfort others. When we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. When we ourselves are comforted, we certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the same things. There's a theological concept called redemptive suffering. That's what this scripture is talking about, redemptive suffering. It's the concept that you go through pain for the benefit of others. Our brother Nietzsche recently passed from his battle with cancer. He was leading our church in Brooklyn and had been an amazing hero in the faith for many years, all over the world, in Africa and here. And in the end stages, he started to allow the doctors to do experiments on him, experimental drugs that would cause incredible pain. But it was only for the benefit of others that he did it. This is the way of Jesus. We lost a New York firefighter in the five-alarm fire in Harlem a few days ago. This firefighter did what he had done for the 15 years that he's been in the department. He got to the scene, and what did he do? Runs to the fire. He had been cited four times before this for bravery, for running to a terrible situation that everyone else is running out of to save lives. Unfortunately, he lost his. He gave his life for others' safety so that suffering is not in vain. There are a lot of different causes for suffering. Sometimes, and I need to say this as a qualification, sometimes we're not a victim. Sometimes we bring the suffering on ourselves. Sometimes just, we can all admit it, plain stupidity. We overspend, we go into debt, we have no plan to get out, we lose our apartment, and what do we say? God, why'd you allow me to lose my apartment? And he's like, wait, retrace. We rush into a relationship. The relationship goes bad. God, why'd you put me with this person? Of course, it's God's fault, right? So that's important that we qualify. Sometimes we're the victim of our own sin. But for some of our pain, we are innocent. We are truly victims. We've been hurt by the stupidity and sins of others. And it seems like senseless pain. But here's the prayer. The prayer is that there can be redemption in that suffering. That God won't waste your wounds. That we may gain through our pain. Now, let me break just for a minute, and then we'll close things up here. We don't like pain, do we? 
We hate pain. There's probably a few things in life that we hate more than pain. And we'll spend a lot of money to avoid pain, right? Don't you? Every time we go to the dentist, just give me the shot. Oh, you don't need a shot. I don't care. Put me to sleep. It's just a minor, I don't care. Laughing gas, whatever you got. My insurance covers it. You know what I'm talking about? We don't want the pain. Little cold outside. Oh, I'm going back to get my heavy jacket. I don't care if I'm late. I don't want the pain of the colds. It's cold outside. It's raining. I don't have my umbrella. No way. I'm buying an umbrella. I don't care how much it is on the corner. Pan. And as soon as the wind comes, it breaks. Ah, why'd I do that again? Every time. $3 umbrella. We go to the gym. We're feeling pretty good. We do one exercise. I'm kind of done, but maybe I should do one more. Ooh, that hurts. No, no, no. That hurts too much. No, that's when it gets good, guys. You know what's weird about muscles? They have to tear before they build. Ah, don't you hate that? God built you like that. We can get obsessed with avoiding pain so much, we start worshiping the God of comfort. Put that God of comfort on the idol, on the altar. Oh, I love comfort. What do we want to do when it's cold and rainy outside? I want to go home, my favorite blanket, hot cocoa, Netflix, Instagram. That is like the picture of heaven. What's weird about our picture of heaven is it looks more like slobs on a sofa, all right? That's really what we're doing. Got hot chocolate dribbling down your mouth. You stained your couch. You binge watched like 12 hours. What? Comfort is actually a very cheap idol. The God of comfort is a discount divinity. It's a cheap idol because it doesn't actually comfort you. A few hours later, you, what you thought was comfort, actually you're paying for. Whether it's in the bathroom or lack of sleep or whatever it is, you love it in the moment, but then you hate it later. That's a cheap idol. That's a lying idol. But I'm very tempted by this idol. <laughs> I love hot cocoa in movies. I really do. My favorite blanket. But we can get very entitled. If we don't get paid overtime, we don't do the extra work. We're entitled to be compensated every bit of extra that we do. Work is pain. I don't do pain for free. Pay me. It can be extended into church. Yes, I do church on Sundays, but that's it. Don't talk to me about small groups and Wednesday midweek service. Because that's extra, that's pain, and I don't do pain for free. Hmm. Isn't it enough that I come, I got to give my money too? Oh, man. Isn't my presence enough? That's a gift. That's like a treasure. Put my soul in that basket. Aren't you grateful? I serve in other ways. I do this. I do that. You want to get together and study the Bible? Share our lives? Too much. It's painful. Talk to other people about God? No. Too much work. 
I actually know a guy who left the church because it was too much work. Too painful to be a Christian, to be connected in relationships. Guess what, folks? We grow in the hard times. Muscles got to tear in order to grow. And I actually believe that God loves making something beautiful out of something broken. It's an amazing tradition from Japan called kintsugi. All right, I heard a yes. That's awesome. People know about the tradition. So 15th century shogun broke a very important tea bowl to him. And he wasn't going to throw it away. Uh, that's against his nature and it's against culture. And that would be a waste. And so he sent the bowl away for repairs. And it came back with these ugly metal staples in the bowl. He was offended. And in this moment, Kintsugi was born. Basically, this is a repair method. And what they do is they use gold to fix broken pottery. There's gold dust and lacquer create a glistening seam where the pottery had shattered. These are no longer called mistakes. These are marks of unique beauty. And kintsugi actually means golden repair. I find this to be a very compelling analogy for us. We are all broken pottery. It's how we come to God. Love what Nick shared so openly and vulnerably earlier. He just came to God. He thought one way, realized that he wasn't living God's will. He came in broken pottery. Said, God, fix me. We put ourselves in the master's hands and Thank God that he doesn't throw away broken pottery. Because a lot of people in this world like to throw away broken stuff. But God is not built like that. He lets us break. He sees our pain. But then he carefully seams us back together with the golden repair. It's a divine healing that leaves not the scars of mistake or regret but the marks of unique growth. It's a beautiful healing. See, some of us are ashamed of the spiritual struggles that we have overcome. I think God is telling you those are the things that are his most victorious moments. Those are the gold seams that glisten on the church's seal. These are the things that we can talk about. These are the things that help other people to know that this is a place you can come to for true healing. Amen. I'd like us to go ahead and stand, and I'm going to ask the singers to come back up. Hear these final words as we flow into the last song, but I know this is an intense message. We're talking about pain, right? This is not easy, and a lot of us, we have pain, and as I'm talking, you start to feel that pain and relive that pain, and I'm not trying to trigger more pain. So if you come up afterward and say, you caused me pain, I'm sorry. But hopefully what happens is that Jesus has re-triggered your experiences from his experience of pain. But not in an effort to make you feel bad about it, to say, yeah, guess what? I've been there too. I've suffered emotionally. I've suffered psychologically. I have suffered physically. I have died at the hands of murderous men for your sake. 
It is not pain in vain. Now, no one says that pain is easy or pleasant. You don't pray for pain. Although some of you pray, God, help me to be patient. Ooh, that's kind of close. <laughs> but pain is the path of Jesus to the cross. We can't be surprised when we undergo suffering in this life. And he asks us to do the same thing that we talked about earlier. That same thing that we hate that's a part of our life becomes the strongest and most celebrated spiritual victory to be able to help other people. Bring up our hurts. Share it with others. Even today, maybe there's a time just to be able to share some pain with one another. I don't have 17 loaves of challah bread today, but we can share a great fellowship. I know challah, sorry. But don't bury your pain. Don't bury it. Don't push it under. And I think God's even saying, don't forget about it. He says, I want to redeem it. He says, I want to resurrect it with gold. I want to make it new. I want to make it better. So as we rise, let's sing out the words of, I know that my Redeemer lives because he wants to redeem every pain in our lives. Amen. Amen.